we had met another client that we did surgery on. We did a CBLO, which is essentially an upside down TPLO. The owner took the dog hiking and it collapsed the osteotomy. So he was really mad. So instead of being the gentleman that he should have been, and he's a lawyer, he decided it would be better equipped to punch me. Right. Right. Because that makes sense. Wheel Publishing. This is Blunt Dissection. I'm Dave Nichol. On today's show, I'm joined by veterinary technician, campaigner, and veterinary Instagram celebrity, Nicole LaForest. Nicole is co-owner, manager, and a licensed veterinary technician for Mayo Veterinary Services, a large mobile surgery practice in Seattle. She graduated with an associate degree in veterinary technology from Penn Foster College, is licensed in both California and Washington State, and spent several years working in emergency medicine as lead technician. Her clinical work at the Mayo is focused primarily in the fields of orthopedics and regenerative medicine. Away from her practice, Nicole is very active in the wider veterinary community, serving as the president of the Washington State Association of Veterinary Technicians, and also campaigning personally to raise awareness, standards, and opportunities for vet techs across the planet. Her passion in doing so has attracted a large social media following where she chronicles her life and practice and courageously discusses her issues with mental health in the hope that others may battle their own demons. Now, before we jump into the the episode, here's a quick word from the show's sponsor, Vetex Thrive Community. If you're a young vet looking to find your feet in veterinary medicine, grow your confidence, avoid burnout, and beat your inner imposter, then Vetex Thrive is for you. As a community member, you'll receive success skill training modules, monthly access to experienced mentors, and incredible toolkits to help you thrive in your career. A year-long membership of the community is available for just $275, and if you use the promo code PODCAST, you will receive a further 10% discount. Head to vetxthrive.com to redeem this offer and take control of your career. Now, a conversation with the vet technician on Blunt Section is long overdue, so it was great to get Nicole on. In a virtual world where filters and selfies are the norm, her brand of visceral storytelling stands out from the crowd and has won her a 20,000-plus fan base. Her frequently edgy posts chronicle a journey off the beaten path. They are educational, engaging, and gritty, displaying an authenticity and rawness that screams, Take me as I am, warts and all. Nicole, it's safe to say, is not afraid to call a spade a spade, but she's also warm-hearted and incredibly bubbly to spend time with. And so it was with our conversation where she left nothing on the field. We covered a lot of ground with subjects as diverse as managing burnout, drug addiction, crazy clients, and how she keeps a life working with her husband fun. So without further ado, it gives me great pleasure to bring you my conversation with Nicole LaForest. So welcome back to another episode of Blunt Dissection. Once again, I always seem to get rooms with views and the view today is looking out over the gator infested swamp that is Orlando. Is that mean? Is that a mean thing to no, say about? No, it's Florida. It's Florida. <laughs> it's a beautiful sky. It's actually what I've described as a bit of a Simpson sky here. So a nice, nice blue cast into the distance with some nice fluffy clouds. And I'm in Orlando uh, at VMX conference 2019, the world's largest conference. So it's been great fun being here. The lovely voice that you just heard there was the voice of Nicole LaForest. So, Nicole, welcome to Blunt Dissection. Thank you for having me. Now, first question has to be, did I pronounce your name correctly? Absolutely, yes. And I ask that because, because I can see you giving me a slightly confused look, <laughs> your first name and my last name are not dissimilar. Yes, yes. 
and lots of people get my last name wrong. So you pronounce it in Scottish, Nicol, mm-hmm. but people like to call it Nicole, <laughs> and I'm not French, and no, so so it's like Nicole, Papa, <laughs> Nicole, Papa. and I realized that might be a bad joke. Is that that's a car manufacturer reference? Do you it ha- did it you is ever- a car manufacturer reference. I want to say it's not from the U.S. I think it's from in the U.K., but I'm not as precise. Oh, <laughs> the clues in the accent there. It was in the U.K. the advert, and it was for a Renault Clio, if I remember right. Okay, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I probably and I, and I encourage you. To not even go close uh, <laughs> searching for it, it's an utter waste of time. The other thing is, Nicole has the most magnificent orange shoes and orange socks. I'm getting an orange vibe here. Have you got a thing for the color orange? I do not, absolutely. Is not. it just a coincidence? I just like to um, match, even though I'm wearing a very bright blue shirt. <laughs> that immediately being Scottish makes you think of Iron Brew. Yes, correct. Yes. Uh, you, you have knowledge of Iron Brew. I do. I did not expect this. Tell me more. I have a obsession with um, the UK, primarily Scotland. Um, <laughs> I'm good with that. Boom. <laughs> so I feel like this conversation is going to go very well, regardless of where it goes. <laughs> How did you develop? I mean, obviously, it makes perfect sense to me that you would have an obsession with such a wonderful place such as Scotland. But how did you develop your particular affliction? I was born there, so that is my affliction. You have chosen to have, you know, a love of that place. So how did that come about? Come you, about? Were, you were born there, and I was born into it. So my mother, who I coincidentally found out she has an obsession, a low-key obsession with Scottish <laughs> people okay and so apparently it's congenital do i need to be worried i don't know (laughs) i don't know and i have been partnered with the scottish people in the past because i'm just i love the culture i love gingers i just love everything (laughs) that it just stands for maybe i'm wearing orange to commemorate that i'm not sure I am sadly not ginger. More no, gr- not, more gray these yes, days than anything yes. else. You don't have to say yes quite so quickly. Yes, yes. <laughs> Bam, take that. <laughs> well, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. I'm really stoked to have you on today. I think we've had a bit of toing and froing on Instagram. Maybe that's a good place to start. Uh, normally we do a bit of career stuff and then we get into other areas of life. But actually, one of the things that made me pay attention to you was the content that you're putting out and in particular the engaging type of content and the amount of engagement you were getting with your content in a profession where we are typically and you probably can't say this is a younger generation since all vet students now seem to have an Instagram account and seem to be plastering all sorts of gory stuff all over the place and that's maybe a, an, another story entirely but you've definitely got traction You've broken through, you've got a strong Instagram following and massive engagement on your page. And what got me was the storytelling you were doing, you know, there's visual storytelling, but also, you know, explaining the cases and doing some really high power work by the the sorts of things. So maybe a great place to start is like, how did that come about and why did it come about? So I started the Instagram page maybe about two years ago, and uh, currently where I am in my practice, uh, we are ambulatory. And so um, in the state of Washington, and by uh, law of Washington, we are not allowed to take records from facilities that we go to. So when we are when we're seeing our patients at various facilities, once we're done, we're done. And that is the extent of uh, what record keeping we can um, technically 
keep on the pet. And so I started the Instagram more so that so I could document exactly what our cases were and kind of what we did and broke it down into what my role was and what my surgeon's role was and how they differ and how, you know, we're ethically and legally able to do some of the same skills. And so it basically just started off so that I could just it was like a diary, like a virtual diary. And then I people started following me, I started getting into conversations. And then it slowly broke into, you know, let's talk about how, you know, everything looks great on the outside. Let's talk about what's going on maybe behind the scenes that nobody else wants to talk about. Right. Isn't that the story of social all over? I feel like that's one of our great afflictions of our age. Like it's a it's a brilliant thing to be able to share. But we share the the filtered best bits. It makes us makes the rest of us feel crap about our lives. Exactly. And paints this picture that everything's just permanently awesome in our you know in other people's lives. So, Correct. Yeah. Um, so, and you're the first practicing technician we've had on. And Bash Hallow is a licensed veterinary technician working in the corporate space. So I will stop getting quite so much abuse from veterinary technicians and nurses around the world now. We appreciate I, I that more than you know. And, and may I say that I appreciate you and all of the technicians around the world thank and you. the fabulous work that you guys do. Thank you, thank like you. us, uh, as vets, there's no way we could do what we do without you. And there's so many unsung heroes in veterinary practices. Absolutely. So big thank you and shout thank out to you, you guys. So tell me, the, Insta- so the Instagram sounds like a really elaborate filing. Says, this sounds like the sort of madness that I would pull. It's like, rather than write them down in a spreadsheet, it's like, I'm going to Instagram that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and come back to it. When did you start getting traction? What was, what was that like? Like, you have now, what, 18,000 followers on, yeah. on Instagram? Yeah. Like, do you know who they are? Like, are they crazy pet owners who just love gore? Or are um, they, are they uh, like, all, all, all technicians and nurses around the world? Like, how have you built that up? So we have technician nurses. We have a lot of students, a lot of technician and nursing students, as well as veterinary students. We do have some of our clients, our clients, that um, somehow, some way, they found out that we have Instagram. And we do, obviously, let them know that it is going to go somewhere on social media. So you do model release things with your consent yeah, forms? Yeah, we do. We, we, uh, we at least, at, you know, we do let them know that they might see it on social media, not their pet, not their face, but the right. actual surgery itself. Okay. So the, the, you may recognize this titanium plate at some point in the future. Correct, yeah. Right. And then I'm like, well, tell me, you know, you can maybe pin, pinpoint it to the day, but, you know, we do so many TPLOs and TTAs, fractures up. If you, if you know what you're looking at, if you know it's your pet, and, and do you have to get client and then practice release for that? Or how does that work? We just technically have to get client release. Ho- all the hospitals are fine with it. We work with... So the patient um, care agreement. Yeah we, yeah, we go to about 34, maybe 36 hospitals. And all of them, I would say half of the people at those practices were at my wedding. That's how close <laughs> we are with our, our coworkers and the, and the owners of those practices. So we, ju- we just go for client. Relationship. Uh, yeah. And then right. obviously at our discretion, if we are like, mm, maybe let's not put this on on social media um then obviously we won't do it i want to know what a case that you would not put on social media would be having seen the ones you do put on there what would not make the cut and and why i have definitely taken stuff off of social media if it's obviously like a procedure a really fascinating procedure but ends up in euthanasia and i know that they follow us or i know that they're really heavy into social media then that would probably be the only instance where i wouldn't do it or if they tell me just you know don't put it on social media Okay. Now, when did you start getting the traction on that? And how do you go from, you know, one follower to 18,000 followers? And I ask that because there's so many people out there trying to brand build. Maybe the pivot in that question is, so what do you see people doing right? And what are people doing wrong? And is it worth people exploring that brand? I can see for you, 
because you and your husband have this business mm -hmm. you know it's, it's very engaging for you from that perspective i'm imagining it gets you quite a lot of presence and status within the industry for True. speaking and promotion yes. of you know, the other professional interests that you have there are lots of people out there who haven't yet formed an idea of what they want to do and they want to break through in some way shape Absolutely. or form so they're pushing hard on social and trying to attain followers what are your thoughts about that? And that, that is a cultural phenomenon just now, this culture of celebrity that exists and everybody can be a celebrity. What are your thoughts on, is that something people should pursue? Is there a poison chalice? Are there pitfalls? Are there, are there reasons to do it and reasons against it? What's your experience been? I definitely think that you have to have a certain type of thick skin to have a large following on Instagram or even to post on Instagram. To answer your question, I'm honestly, I'm not sure at what point my page quote unquote took off. I started working with a bunch of companies. A lot of, I um, do a lot of work in regenerative medicine and that is a very exciting field in itself. And what I think I found um, in regards to that was that technicians didn't know they could play such a big role. And, you know, technicians in school and vet nurses as well that were taught, you go in, you assist a doctor, you restrain, um, and this is all you do. This is what you're going to graduate. This is what you're going to do. When I want to be like, no, 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 this is what we're able to do. There's only four things that we're legally not allowed to do. Let's talk about everything else that we can do and let's go through what that looks like. And then outline specifically all these wonderful things that we can still find satisfying in our job that will promote, you know, just a happier work environment. If the doctors are able to use us to our best abilities. What are the four things you're not allowed to be able to do? And this I'm presuming we're talking North America here. So, I'd imagine there's similarities with other countries. Yeah, I would think, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in other countries, and so it seems pretty standard. So we're not allowed to diagnose, we're not allowed to prescribe, we're not allowed to surgerize, is basically what I call it. So diagnose, prognose, prescribe, and surgery. Yeah. Okay, all right. But everything else is free game. Okay, so the thick skin thing, how has it helped you in your career? And I want to paint a picture because I'm sure there's there's quite a young audience, this podcast. I mean, it's quite a mixed audience. I don't mean to exclude anyone who's <laughs> my vintage or above. You're all very welcome. Um, and social media is not to be excluded from you guys either. But the guys that I have concern for are the younger generation who are doing this because it seems like everybody else should be doing it. I can see there's there's good good things good about things. it. Yeah. Um, so what, what good things have happened as a result of you building that either to you or that you've been able to influence? And then what are some of the, the challenges and how has that equation balanced out to mean that you, something you want to continue to do? For me, I have, just because of our business model, I have a lot of exposure to different standards of care. So again, we go to, you know, over three dozen facilities. And so I, you know, I see some really good medicine. And then I also see some not so good medicine. And so I'm at the point in my career where I, at this point, I've probably almost seen everything there is to see and renditions of, you know, various ways to complete a task and whatnot. Um, what I found about... Um, doing my post is I'm not only, you know, able to kind of tell my side, but people are, are able to tell me how they would do it differently or how they do it at their practice. Um, I know I recently, I want to say it was maybe two days ago, I did a post on contaminated surgical scrub. And I, you know, how I was just sick to my stomach that we had this contaminated surgical scrub and how many patients did it come in contact with? What was it contaminated with? Serratia marcesin from tap water. <laughs> <laughs> we have immune systems for this sort of thing. Admittedly, yeah. not, not, not in a sterile area. That's not going to be a good look. 
No, no, definitely not. Okay, so I'm kept, drinking the bottled I kept, water. I kept right? my okay. mouth shut through that. <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm drinking the bottled water, and Jessica, who was on the podcast episode before, I'm still drinking lots of water. <laughs> lots of water. So, all right. <laughs> um, that put so, me in my place. Didn't so it? it was it was contaminated, and we actually found that we had. Um, I was tracking our infection rate, and we, as I had said in the post, we only get maybe one patient out of several thousand a year that has like an, that we need to remove like a TPO implant or a TTA implant, what have you. And all of a sudden, we had six come from one hospital, and we go to a lot of hospitals. And so, if I could say, you know, two, one or two came from this hospital, but then three or four came up from a different one, then I could say, oh, you know, maybe it's something we need to look into, or you know, maybe we need to just talk, and maybe it's a coincidence. But we had six come from one hospital beautiful facility one of the best facilities we go to aha accredited i go in i take some samples and then it comes back which locations would you typically go to when you're you're investigating something like that so i'm a huge bug fan of any of any sorts and so i i knew that typically if we're seeing a trend in like serratia marcesin it's most likely coming from the scrub because it was typically and when i found even when i posted it and i'm guilty of this too i have done it in the past most of us will dilute our chlorhexidine scrub so that it's not as you know viscous and we can actually get some kind of traction with it and some places dilute it with tap water some dilute it with sterile water and so what i did was i went in and they they keep the scrub in a gallon container that's not manufacturer approved it's just like your spring water gallon um i took about four cc's and then i swabbed the tupperware container that they keep that they kept it in so i got two sites and then it came back positive and so we found that originated from there. We found the problem. We solved it. You know, does it reflect poorly on us? Probably. It's something easy to overlook. You know, obviously, we don't run the facilities, but it's something because they are our patients. We should have done our due diligence. And is it going to be a problem moving forward? Absolutely not. And a lot of the exposure that I got on that post were people saying, oh, my God, I never even thought of that. We, I mean, I had somebody comment saying, yeah, we sterilize our scrub. We sterilize our, our, our gauze. We sterilize our um, the bowls. And then we dilute with uh, tap water. And I'm like, but look how close you were. Look how close you were. That's closer than I may have ever been until, you know, I became obsessed with learning about like microbiology and, um, you know, because I work in with stem cells a lot. And, you know, you do get good and bad exposure, obviously, with an Instagram. And that's just something that you need to be able to defend or own up to. I mean, that's one sharing a story, having a tale, owning, really owning Mm -hmm. the problem. And owning it in the way where I, I get the sense that there's a procedure for reviewing and imagine that you didn't just hone in on that, although it's one hospital, I imagine you were then alerted and looked through any of the sort of possible options for your service, right? Absolutely, yeah. And we, in that instance, because we, with with our practice, we keep all of our equipment, you know, we just have a bunch of orthopedic equipment um, at our house. And so we have like four autoclaves, we have, you know, everything. And so we had sampled everything. Yeah. And um, autoclaves came back, you know, negative for any growth. Our fingernails came back for any, you know, came back negative for any growth. And so... Had you cultured the specific organism from the wound infections beforehand so you knew what you were looking for? All six of them. Yeah. Yep. Same thing. Yeah. This is news to me as well. I'm like, yeah. So did they were filling up the Tupperware thing from just the tap? Yep. And then storing it in there? Correct. If they'd have filled it from the from the tap without storing it, would they have had the same problem, do you think? I, you know, it's a good question. Not, not that I'm actually, yeah. I'm just like, yeah. I, I'm still drinking from the tap. Here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess with the way that, I mean, because Serratia Marcisin, I'm if I remember correctly, and obviously I'm not any type of, you know, microbiologist by any means, is a spirochete. So I would, I would assume that, you know, is there still potential 
absolutely. But I think probably because it was stored and maybe changed like every month or every week that that might be an indication. Okay. So. All right. Live and learn. Live and learn. So that's a story of where you can get on a platform and share something that's actually broadening the horizon in a very engaging way in a way Mm -hmm. that scientific papers, obviously when we look at the evidence, the quality of evidence pyramid, and most of what you'll see on social is very much anecdotal. Correct. I.e. very low foundation level in the pyramid and not peer-reviewed, double-blinded, you know, the good quality stuff at the top. But what you're doing is actually starting to move up the pyramid a little with very much an anecdote, very much a single, you know, N equals six in this case in in one mini outbreak kind of thing or infection focus, but then taking a very regimented scientific approach and following the steps um, to highlight a highlight something which just shows you that microbiology can be a bit interesting so i'm learning lots yeah yeah that's a massive positive what is your purpose now on social and and how do you keep positive about it because instagram to me seems like the least toxic place to hang out correct i spend almost no time on twitter now i spend very little myself on facebook except in messenger but I spend almost all of my time on Instagram and I find that to be a much more positive because there's no immediate right to Correct. argue and reply. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I feel um I feel the same way. I I do still use Facebook. I've never used Twitter. I'm primarily on Instagram, but I was just having this conversation with a really good friend of mine and you know, we were saying that with Instagram it's very with a lot of accounts you see, it's very positive, yeah. you know, and it's always positive. Yeah. And it's almost a bit kumbaya. Yeah. And exactly. It's very, I think the word yours is a much better word for as a description. I use very cult like, yeah. you know, it's everything's happy, unicorns and glitter. And they paint such a positive just view of our profession. And, and which is fine. You know, we have our. our, our <laughs> which is the absolute <laughs> opposite to what you get on Facebook, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I mean, the Facebook groups are. to me feel largely so toxic Mm -hmm. absolutely i'm now at the point where i i can't go in them without coming away feeling annoyed anxious and just wanting to shout yeah punch myself in the face exactly and at least with with instagram i found that honesty is key absolutely and that i think most of the followers even though they love to see the positives they all have a realistic expectation that not everything is always going to be happy. And, you know, we have a lot of um, a lot of other people post, you know, all these amazing heartfelt stories, which is great. But what are, you know, you have to wonder what's going on behind the scenes. You know, who are who are they saying positive for? Are they saying positive for themselves? Are they trying to get themselves through a certain situation? Or are they just trying to gain followers? Or what are they trying to do? That's right. So in terms of have you got any tips or advice for anybody who, you know, first of all, would you advise people to start building a following? Second part to question, how should they go about doing that? Any advice for anybody coming up through the ranks? And what do they need to watch out for? What are the pitfalls that they should try not, you know, what are the landmines they don't know are there that could trip them up? And some defenses against those things. Building up a following can be difficult. You know, obviously it's what you bring to the table. Honesty is always the best policy. For me, um, I found it's when when I just don't sugarcoat anything, 
then that really attracts people to me and then opens up dialogues and opportunity to, for maybe even me to learn um, from them. You know, that's the, the wonderful thing about my page and your page is that not only do they get to learn from us, but we get to learn from oh, 100%, them. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And it's just the, the conversations um, have been absolutely amazing. And with... The more you engage on Instagram, and I try not to post more than once a day, you know, because you don't want your life to be consumed with social media, and um, which is another pitfall to um, 2019, honestly, is what it is. We need to stay engaged. We also need to be receptive to feedback. Um, And also networking is always um, a big key you want to. For me, I try to do my best to respond to everybody in my DM box, my direct messenger box. Does that always happen? Absolutely not. And just needing to understand that we don't know everything. I don't know everything. If you ask me about a vaccine, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I have absolutely no idea about anything with general practice. You know, I'm very transparent. And just finding what you succeed at or what you want to succeed at and just telling your story and doing it in an honest, wholehearted way is is honestly the best way that you will get followers. Having an eye for a photograph doesn't hurt either, does it? No, it does not. Which not everybody has. (laughs) Correct. I think it's safe to say. Okay, so have an eye, tell a story, be authentic, uh, have some form of purpose Correct. to your posting. So defending against the landmines, let's talk about that. What landmines are out there in wait? You know, be careful of what you wish for, in, just in case you get it. Yes. And so what are the hard parts? Because again, you know, we've talked about authenticity. So what are the crappy bits about having the best part of 20,000 people watching your... Transparency. <laughs> transparency on both on both ends if you post something you need to be prepared to either receive backlash defend yourself or be a cheerleader for somebody else that's is essentially what it boils down to and you are it's notable on your account that you're not afraid to take topics on correct and you do cop it sometimes tell me about a notable occasion when that occurred and what was the impact on you how did you work your way through that i had one a few years ago that I remember it was not when I had thousands and thousands. I maybe had like 4,000 followers. Um, But I had a post um, that I I did that it was on uh, my own pet, but I broke sterility because I was like, "Eh, it's my own pet. You know, don't tell me how to live my life. But it got picked up by a page that had over like 250,000 followers. And then all of a sudden, boom, everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at her and her, you know, her fake nails and her jewelry. And it was a learning moment for me because I'm like, okay, it's my own pet. You know, it's still alive. I put it out there whatever whatever feedback I get, it's, you know, because of my own doing. So that was probably one of my ones that stand out the most, I would say. How did you feel as that went through it? Like, you know, so you've posted this, you're not expecting, you know, the pickup from, and some days you just get that on Instagram, don't you? Like yeah. somebody will post something somewhere and you've no idea. And suddenly you've just got all these comments and all these, you know, you've got lots of comments and not lots of followers. That's a bad combination. <laughs> yes, it is. And when you've got lots of comments <laughs> and lots of followers, then that's generally the one you want. So yes. you're like, so that morning you wake up and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I remember with that page because I think there was a little bit of a, when the page reshared my post, there was some controversy. I did pick up a lot of followers, you know, whether they came to just shame me or, you know, what have you, or learn more or just say, hey, it sucks what you did or that you broke sterility, but, you know, 
do you and we live and we learn. Right. So there was a lot of support that came yeah, from that as well? Yes, there was a lot of support and there was a lot of, you know, rude comments and you just have to brush those off because those are just keyboard warriors. Do you have a way of mentally coping with that? I mean, how, how does that affect you? I'm just one of those people where I'm just like, everyone's going, not everybody's going to like you, you know, and whether it be because you're doing it not to their standards or because you're in a different, you know, place in life than they are and they want to be you or whatever. I just, you know, you can only, you can only brush it off. That's really all you can do because if you sit there and you obsess literally over hundreds of comments and try to get your work done and have time for yourself, you're not going to get anywhere in life. This question relates to it, and I'm going to do a Jedi mind trick on you just now because right. I'm quite interested, <laughs> uh, and then I'll ex- I'll explain it afterwards. So it's not a trick question; just go with it, however you All feel. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nothing. It's not. It's not like thousands of people are going to hear it for all eternity. So there's nothing on the line here. How do you know if you've done a good job? That is always a good question. Hindsight is twenty twenty. I can always look at a situation and say, yeah, I could have done that better or different. Right. I wondered if you were going to say that. Yeah. Do you want me to explain the answer? Now? I would love for you to explain that. All right. So, and I know this, this is your podcast. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> buying it too much. But the reason I asked that question was because there's so many people out there in veterinary medicine. You've just said something that I think is a lot harder to do for a lot of people and that mm-hmm. is just brush it off yeah compartmentalize yes failure now let's come back and talk yes. about failure in a <laughs> second right but you and i share a viewpoint on what you gave me there was an answer that tells me that internally you just have a moral compass you know mm-hmm. if you've done a good job or not yeah you don't require somebody to tell you if you've done a good job you already know and you may indeed find that somewhat patronizing <laughs> exactly. if you're told it right <laughs> yeah so this has turned into some form of marriage counseling for your husband, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Good job, Nicole. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, no, wait, really. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Right. So we're internally validating, and that—that's which is not neither right or wrong. It just is. Mm-hmm. But there's loads of people in this profession are externally validated. That is the value of the opinion of other Correct. people. Now, people who are externally validating. When, if you want to go out there and build a profile, that's going to be a challenge, isn't yes. it? Because it's hard to compartmentalize. So, are there any other tips, tricks, like things that you do to unplug your brain and get away from that? Because I'm externally validating, uh, internally validating as well. Yes. But it's, it's, I still mull it over and it still messes with me, but it makes me go, what could I have done better? Exactly. Not, oh, everyone hates me, so I want to crawl yeah. up under a rock. Yeah. That's a tricky question to answer. Um, Splendid section. They're usually tricky and long, so you yeah. don't end up remembering the first Great. question by the time I ask it. Excellent. I don't really have ways of coping with it because, you know, I'm so busy. A lot of, I mean, all of my friends know that, you know, I have, I work full time in a surgery practice and then I'm lecturing, I'm doing podcasts, I'm out there. So I don't have time to mull it over. I don't have an option but to brush it, it up. Yeah, I'm just like, just, just give it's it to burst me. Out yeah, later and yeah. Just deal with it on a, on a therapist. Yeah, chair yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, I, and the great thing is I actually, you know, I do go to therapy and I think it's absolutely great for anybody in veterinary medicine to go to therapy. Agreed. Um, and not only because of our profession, but I also work with my husband. Yep. So that's a lot that goes on in that therapy session. Thankfully, I do have someone that can understand, um, you know, in my personal life who can understand why I'm frustrated. And if I'm ever in doubt about, you know, standard of care, ethics, and what I'm doing, I have a specialist, you know, which thankfully 
I live with. So, you know, if I'm laying in bed, I'm like, hey, do you remember this morning at blah, 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 this pet? Did I do this right? Yes or no? And so, and, you know, being honest with each other um, about how we could have handled things differently is kind of our own way of coping too. So you seek out feedback in those moments? Yeah, if I'm, if it's really bothering me or I'm like, oh, did I, you know, did I break sterility or, you know, what did I do? He'll just be like, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. I can see the lesson from the two hundred and fifty thousand has hit home. Somewhat dismissive meme. It wasn't even a word. It was was just a meme. Yeah, pretty much. And then we say goodnight and starts all over again. (laughs) So your eyes lit up when I asked something before, and that was when we started talking about failure. Yeah. So do you have a failure? This is an odd question, but do you have a failure that in some way set you up for growth and success in in the future that sticks out in your mind or tell me why you had a very knowing sort of smile and your face lit up when when Hmm. you mentioned failure i wouldn't say it was a failure more as a missed opportunity when i graduated vet tech school for for whatever reason stars aligned and i was thrown into emergency medicine a specialty medicine and so i get a lot of questions from individuals on Instagram in real life that are like, oh, how do you give a rabies vaccine? I'm like, I don't know. I missed out on... What's rabies? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What's rabies? I, you know, I, I work primarily in orthopedics and surgery and emergency and you know all, all other aspects of specialty medicine. And so, you know, I would say more of a, of a missed opportunity for me because if you ask me to turn on a microscope, I think I just turned one on for like the first time in two years and how to run a fecal, not a clue. And so there's a lot of things that might set me up for failure later on in life if I ever transition back into another side of veterinary medicine, because I will be as basic as basic can be. I might as well just go back to tech school or do whatever, because it's I won't recall any of it. But I feel that in that aspect, because and, you know, not that general practice is by any means a lower level of care than specialty medicine. It's just it's totally different, you know, and it's it's, it's broad and. And yeah, shallow and have, as opposed to narrow and deep. Yeah, and you have to know so much about general practice. About you have to know so much, and I don't know. Freak, so. You need to know about spirochetes in the water. Yeah, yeah, and everything exactly. Now. Yeah, now you have to think about that and on the microbiology. It's just like it's so mind blowing. And I, will it set me up for failure in the future? Probably. If somebody, if somebody cornered me and was like, "Oh, you need to explain." You know, vaccine protocols or deworming or you know what's the latest in flea prevention? I'm gonna be like, I don't know. Who are you? Who are you? What? No, that's I wrong person. Wrong person is what it is. And so I think that eventually that has because I was I entered into specialty and emergency medicine at such a young age when I was I was 19. Now I'm now I'm 26 so seven years of just working in specialty medicine. Um, and, you know, networking with some of the bigger names in, in veterinary medicine has really led to um, a certain level of success. And, you know, as we have discussed previously, we can't compare our success to somebody else's success our story is our own story but I feel in a way maybe I should have taken the opportunity to learn more about general practice and you know that is just one of my weaknesses that I just I try to be transparent about don't don't come to me with unless it's about bones or stem cells or platelet-rich plasma that you know that's where I am and for everything else there's somebody else (laughs) so flipping that back around then tell me you know professionally now about the business that you now have and and the work that you and your husband do uh, with it's the mayo veterinary yeah mayo veterinary services yeah veterinary services so it's it's ambulatory yes mobile you travel around to your 40 
practices in mm-hmm. your loca- in your area. Yes. Uh, and service them with, with orthopedic services. Yeah. How did that all come about? I saw on your Instagram account, not been married for for too long two right? months two months so oh man congratulations on thanks that. <laughs> i swear it was more than two months ago i saw that in november your... 10th so it's been a little over two months oh that's last year that's why it seems yeah so long yeah ago. yeah um, <laughs> so congratulations on getting thank married you. thank you tell me about how that part of your life all came together so it'll tie into him and then it'll tie into me. So he's had the practice for about 17 years. He used to own two hospitals um, way back when, um, yeah, maybe about 18 years ago. He sold and was like, I want to be my own boss. I want to, you know, do all these things. Um, you know, he is a specialist, as I said. And so, um, you know, he was able to offer his services to hospitals in the area. He's been doing that for a very long time. And I used to manage an emergency hospital um, at the age of 22. And uh, tell me a 22-year-old, uh, first of all, knows how to manage a ho- you know, an emergency hospital. Yeah, I was not capable of that at all in any means. But he would come in and do our orthopedics and like our spinal fractures and, you know, anything that we basically basically needed that our veterinarian who owned the practice couldn't do. And then, um, you know, I started with him and I, you know, we started on a professional relationship. Um, I would help out with that, with his practice, go to the hospitals, help set up assistant surgery, whatever I needed to do, and then work um, so night. You'd left the... Yep. Original one, so you yeah. quit that. Yep, and I worked at night at the emergency hospital, but then had to quit and make a decision of where I wanted right. to go. Right. Yeah, I mean, we've been doing now. I've been working with him for um, a little over four years, and we do surgery, primarily orthopedics. We do a lot with regenerative medicine, um, a lot with internal medicine, um, basically anything that maybe a general practitioner wouldn't be comfortable doing. Uh, we also do a lot of um, alternative uh, sterilizations, like hysterectomies and vasectomies. Whatever's innovative is what we is what we do, and we both lecture, we both teach internationally, we do private and hospital trainings, and so we've we've kind of made this really weird dynasty, honestly, is what it is. And um, interestingly enough, when I got on board four years ago, we were tracking the numbers of the growth of the practice because at that time it was just him and just offering these procedures. And every single year that I was on staff with him because I'm licensed, because I can't, I can do everything except for those four things I had previously mentioned, our practice has grown by 300 grand every single year. Since employing you? Since employing me. That sounds like a rather good advert to hire a licensed veterinary technician. That is correct. (laughs) Now, I know that this is an area of massive passion for you. I can feel you pulling me in that direction. <laughs> Actually, my, my first question on that, and you can then take the conversation wherever you see fit, but is I hear lots of conversation over on this side of the pond about whether it should be called veterinary technicians or veterinary nurses. Yes. And in the United Kingdom and in Australia, the veterinary nurses. Correct, correct. What is the discussion there? Why is there a concern or a debate happening and where do you stand on the spectrum? So um, I will start off um, by saying, so I'm the current president of our state's technician association. Uh, we have not currently made a stance on where we stand with it. Anything I say can be misconstrued as me representing the board. Right. But that being said, I have definitely answered this question without answering this so, question. So, 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 <laughs> so just to state, this isn't the opinion of the Correct. board which you are Correct. president of. But yes, and um, and I have, but I have, I can answer this, not answer at the same time. Um, also, am the NAFTA rep for my state, and so you know, with NAFTA being the North American Veterinary Technician Association, which is um, the VNI, the Vet- Veterinary Nurse Initiative, um, technically two separate entities. 
but that being said, there's a lot of behind the scene work um, that not a lot of people are aware of in the US. With the potential title change, people need to understand that we're still about 10 to 15 years out. Nothing is going to change overnight. Using the title nurse, regardless of if you put vet, registered, what have you, is is um, illegal and is a felony in 38 states. So nurse is a protected term it's a protected in the United term. States. Correct. In, for human medicine. Yes. And even if you pu- if you plug in vet in front of it, um, you can plug in a foot nurse, you know, um, a dental nurse, whatever. It's still an um, illegal term. Because so is it's this protected. why nurses were called technicians in the first instance across here? You're absolutely correct. Right. That's yes. very interesting. Yes. I did not know that. And if you, if you actually think, so with in dentistry, your dental assistants and dental hygienists are hygienists and assistants not dental nurses because it is a title that even i mean we all know it's dentistry is a is a billion dollar industry and even they were not able to get the nurses to give them their their title and so we we need to have realistic expectations that that might be a possibility regardless you know know, of where i stand that if we preemptively start calling us veterinary nurses, not only is it a felony, but you can also be barred from getting your licenses in various states because you're um, you're misrepresenting yourself. Right. You know, and I know a lot of people are passionate and it's great to have passion, but when we start calling ourselves nurses preemptively, we're actually pushing the initiative backwards because right now we don't have standardization in the U.S. and, you know, we have unlicensed individuals calling themselves technicians and my question to listeners and to people, you know, in the U.S. is, why did it become such a bad thing to be an assistant? I love being an assistant. I loved it. Less responsibility. I didn't have a license. You know, I, you know, if something happened, hey, that's, I don't have a license. Don't, you know, don't look at me. I loved it. And, you know, now that I'm, you know, a credential technician, I still love being a, an assistant. But now I love being a veterinary technician, too. But the problem is we don't have standardization around the world. And so in the UK, because I, you know, I've worked in you in the UK and you've obviously worked in the UK, they have registered veterinary nurses that have degrees and have gone through years of training and testing. In Australia, as you know, um, vet nurses are tiered on a level and they typically have certificates and they do have licensed technicians. But what I find confusing is that licensed technicians are technically um, have a higher degree, but are legally not allowed to do as much as vet nurses. It can be very confusing because who, who are we trying to look out to be an example? Right. And the push to become a veterinary nurse, where does that come from after? I mean, it, it's always been technician over here. Yes, it has. So what's the driver behind, you know, there's clearly a great purpose at play. You're talking a very long game here, 15 years. Mm-hmm, That's not an overnight project. Definitely so there's clearly not. a lot of commitment on your part. Absolutely. And not just yours, but I'm sure many others. Is there a broad consensus that, that this is something that's worthwhile or is it is it change for change's sake? What's the driver? Why does it why does it matter so much? So the goal of the initiative and any initiative, regardless of the title, um, is for standardization is right. so that we can at least vouch to our clients, even our patients and our the practice owners, veterinarians that we are licensed. This is our title because we have gone through this training. And so the goal of the initiative is not only to standardize because we all can agree that standardization is key to propelling our our profession into the future and and as well for patient advocacy. Now, another aspect of the initiative is we want to raise the standards of care and we want to make a, a living wage. But what people need to consider is that that will only happen if standardization occurs. 
until that point, we can't expect that we're going to be able to move forward if we have unlicensed people calling themselves technicians, if you have technicians calling themselves nurses, and so on, so on, so forth. But, you know, it's basically, it's just to elevate our profession to kind of be like, hey, we know just as much as our counterparts do in human medicine. Let's raise those standards. But we also, we we need to put, you know, the money where our mouth is. You know, the initiative has been tentatively passed in one state, but it has been rejected in two states. Right. So... Why was it rejected? The ANA, so um, the Nurse, the Nursing Association of America, um, knocked it down and they had a very... um, strong argument that, you know, we cannot take their title because we have no idea what we're doing in our profession. We obviously don't. And it's, you know, it's very apparent that we don't know what we're doing still because we don't know what to call our paraprofessionals, technicians, assistants. And if we don't know what we're doing and what we're called, how can we go ahead and take a title that they have literally spent decades upon decades fighting protecting so that they can be in their own right nurses. So the title vet nurse, if you would envisage and look forward 15 years, what would be the ideal thing in the marketplace? And use the word paraprofessional there. And that's the sort of word that sometimes you see technicians visibly wincing at or hissing at you or growling at you like a dog, like we tend to do in veterinary hospitals. Yes. Hey, you know, I'm all all about the stirring it up. So yeah, I mean... (laughs) Paraprofessionals, it is a tough term to swallow. But, you know, if you look at the definition of it, we fall into it whether we like it or not. Right. So, um, you know, we can, I can wince at it myself, but, you know, I very buy the book. And if I look at the book, that's what a paraprofessional is. And that's what I am. You know, it doesn't mean my my role is any lesser than the doctor. Or less important. Exactly. It's just that's just where it falls in in the dictionary and that's semantics so so the drive to become to use this term veterinary nurse that in the future is a validation of the hard work the effort correct that you guys have also a tiering system to say look this person has what it takes to be this level your pet is safer correct correct or at a level and right now it's just a, a mess with I mean, I don't know the difference in LVTs, RVTs, techs. You know, there's so many different terms banded around. What's interesting, and not a lot of people know this, um, and this will be a very quick point. Um, So we have um, LVTs, RVTs, CVTs, um, and then we have um, licensed veterinary medical technicians in one state, Tennessee. And so basically, the reason there is difference in the title is registered anything in um, the healthcare profession is those are going to be the individuals that are able to do a lot of medical either testing, diagnostics, et cetera. They, they have a lot of leeway with the law. Now, if you go to a state where we're licensed, we can do a lot, a lot of skills, but we're not going to be able to do as much as those registered individuals. And so consider, um, and this will be the only time I say that. So when you're thinking of an RVT, so registered vet tech, which, where, which I am in California, my scope of practice, and I, sh- I shouldn't use practice, but um, scope of what I can do is much greater than what I can do in Washington state. And because in Washington, I'm only, um, I'm still restricted to do certain things under levels of um, supervision. Yep. They're considered licensed. And then in the states where there are certified veterinary technicians, we have to consider that those people, they're still great at what they do. Yep. Absolutely great. They're able to do a lot legally, but they are still prohibited by the law on certain skills, certain supervision levels that they can do. And it's part of the problem, not just the names, but the fact that every state has a different interpretation of what they do. Absolutely. So what you're really trying to do is get something at a national level and get all of the VMAs to agree something and make change happen. 
So what needs to happen next in order for you to t- make more progress? Like, uh, are the VMAs speaking to each other? Who's funding the half a million that you've spent already? How much more is it going to take to get your objective? So the first thing we need to do is get a VMA in every state. And there are certain states that don't have veterinary medical associations. And so that would be the first step. There are two states, and don't quote me on that, but I think if I remember correctly, there are two states that do not have a medical, a veterinary medical association. That would be the first step. Um, and then typically in every in every state, there should be three entities you're looking at. You're looking at the technician association, you're looking at the veterinary medical association, and then your board of governors or whatever the equivalent is called. And you need to be in collaboration with all three entities and just have an open discussion. Where Where do you stand on that? okay, I don't like where you stand on that. Can we talk about why we don't like it? And can we get on board with the same titles that we can make a public stance? And, you know, it's hard because our field is so unregulated that right now the funding is primarily coming from corporations. And we are really at the beck and call of what they want us to do and what they want us to be called because Banfield, VCA, a few other large companies are spending millions of dollars so that we can fund the fight. And so we can't ask private practices to offer millions of dollars to fund an opposing fight or fund whatever they want to fund. We're basically at the mercy, honestly, of corporations at this point and uh, the direction of what um, NAFTA wants to go in. Yeah. All right. That's a fascinating area that I'm sure we could actually spend quite a lot longer speaking (laughs) about. But So I want to pick up something you said earlier, and it was about the living wage. And I wanted to actually link that to the level of engagement that we have within clinical teams generally, whether it's in practice or or anywhere. I'm specialty medicine, you know, the rates, the pay is, is going to be higher, I imagine, given the level of discipline and technical skill required is higher but the level of burnout seems high very high and i imagine and i'm sure you you will be able to quote any studies or evidence to support this statement but i imagine that when you have all of the same pressures and stresses okay you might not be making the diagnosis the decisions you might not be wielding the scalpel as such but I haven't met a nurse that is any less, indeed oftentimes even more emotionally invested in a patient. So there's a burden of, you know, there's a caregiver burden there, but you're doing it for a fastly reduced salary. Correct. Working long hours, frequently thankless hours, often mistreated by people with, let's in a very kind way say, less than optimal leadership skills, big egos, often very driven type A personalities. I'm painting a very gloomy picture here. <laughs> so is the level of burnout in veterinary nurses as high, same, lower in your experience than in veterinary medicine? And and also the, the drain, you know, we're seeing shortages of, and I'm using nurses term now, which will delight me, of course. <laughs> and, and obviously now I'm committing some sort of felony here. Uh, so apologies to the American Nursing Association, but I am from the UK, so we call True. Nurses. True. So technicians. Techno nurses. <laughs> Let's invent a new term. I love it. Let's do it. Nur- veterinary nurses. Techni- te- veterinary technical nursing. Nurses. Snurses. 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 Right. So retention is a big issue it within is, yes. clinical teams. Part of that is burnout, compassion, fatigue. Have you had any experience, you know, in your career, you, you are very positive, but you're very real as well. 
have you had any experience, you know, personally, I know I've experienced burnout and nothing worse, but have you had experience, like most people have had some form of it. Have you had experience? And if you have, um, are you willing to share sort of your experiences on your journey um, with burnout or with challenges in the profession? I've had bouts of burnout and um, it's because sometimes I feel like no matter what we do, it's not enough. And I think we all deal with with that. Um, you know, we, we always want to do more than we can. And sometimes we're confined by what the owners can pay for. And, you know, do we continue to offer our services for free? How, you know, how often or why should we be offering our services for free? We spent so many years in training for school. And when you just think about how often we elect to let ourselves suffer because of somebody else's, you know, whether it be their pet ownership or neglect, what have you, it starts to take a toll. And I would say a few times a year, you know, I go through it. There was only one time I really heavily considered leaving the field, um, which was at the end of 2017. I just, I wanted to leave. I was just, I was done. I felt that no matter, again, as I said, no matter what you do, it's never going to be enough. We had a, specifically speaking, we had a client that had a bulldog with a hypoplastic trachea. We just came back from working in Australia and New Zealand. We were at home for one day and we're like, can't, you can't transport this dog down to Seattle, you know, for us to look at it, we'll come to you. And the owner was like, that's great. Amazing. Thank you. And we flew up to where she was and something happened where I wasn't, I'd gotten my specialist license for him to practice, but it was like a holiday weekend and I wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to get a physical copy of it. And I just said, look, we can't move forward with this. And she was like, okay, that, that really sucks. I'm sorry you came out up this way, you know, begged us to do surgery. I said, no, we flew back down to Seattle. Boom. There she is on the same flight with the dog, with the dog, with the dog. And then so she gets it down to Seattle. We um, we mildly sedate it. Um, it. We keep it in emergency. Your, your concern with the flight was stress. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Perish on the plane. Yes. And that's exactly what we were concerned about. Middle of winter. It was just all around terrible situation. She followed us down to Seattle. She sat in first class and we did not. And, you know, my surgeon, he's just the greatest. You know, he's the greatest guy. He very hands on. He, he carried the dog on the flight. He carried the dog off the flight. It's just like three in the morning was when we landed. We brought the dog to the hospital sedated it we looked at it like it's a hypoplastic trachea there's you know we don't have the skills we don't have the tools to do anything three days later while the dog was still in seattle she euthanized it and then blasted us on social media saying we killed her dog as soon as it landed on in seattle filed a board complaint lawsuit and all because we went above and beyond and we we couldn't do what she thought that we had promised her you know we went up to her state to do what we could we couldn't brought it to seattle we looked at it, oh, we still can't do anything. So she euthanized her dog. And the amount of emotional stress that put on with being gone out of the country for three weeks, we both had head colds and then being in a different time zone, trying to recover from all this stuff. And then just to have this. Yeah, you're, you're just, emotionally yeah. fragile, not, yeah. not very high resilience in that yeah. condition. And so, and thankfully, the board was like, this is just the dumbest complaint I've ever seen in my life. They dropped it. But, you know, it's just having to go through that. And the legal complaint? The legal complaint got dropped, too. And then what was interesting... How long did that take for it to go away? So, the, the board complaint took um, about six months. Right. And, yeah, it was a long time. Now, here's where the story gets even more interesting. So, the day that she brought 
that she euthanized her dog. We had met another client, the same facility that we did surgery on. We did um, a CBLO, which is essentially an upside down TPLO. The owner took the dog hiking and it collapsed the osteotomy. So he was really mad. And I said, look, you, ha- you need to pay for your follow-up. You've gotten like a bazillion follow-ups from us. You need to pay for it. So instead of being the gentleman that he should have been, and he's a lawyer, he decided it would be better equipped to punch me. Right. Right. Because that makes sense. So not only am I dealing with this woman who's saying that we killed her dog, I'm dealing with somebody who assaulted me that I had to file a police complaint against, you know, stay there for an extra five hours so I could wait for them because the guy got escorted off the property. And then he sued us too. And that got dropped. And he filed a bar complaint. That's still ongoing. But at this point, once you once you assault somebody physically, how can you expect them to continue care? Be like, okay, see you tomorrow. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right, right. So, right. you know, it was a rough time. And I was like, if this is going to be what veterinary medicine is turning into, I don't want to be a part of it. I'd rather be miserable doing something else than, you know, being depressed, being assaulted. But I am still here. A lot of a lot of therapy later, and I'm still here. Well, that was going to be my next question. You sort of answered it there. So, you know, how do you maintain a positive mindset? Because they're both quite extreme stories. And perhaps extreme because you're dealing with higher stakes cases than Correct. perhaps your general practitioner Correct. might be. Not that we don't, general practitioners, I'm not showing you <laughs> disrespect there. I know you deal with high stakes case. But every case that you see in the field that you're doing is kind of high stakes. Hi, yeah, high stakes and high money. High money, which which obviously, you know, the disease process plus the priceless yes. tag make it a higher stakes deal. So my question was going to be, how do you then keep your head in the game because we all need some form of coping strategy. Correct. So what are your coping strategies and how do you manage your, your mental health, really? So my surgeon, husband, partner, we are very transparent that we have uh, we go to therapy. We have been in therapy since we started dating. Um, it was actually at his suggestion. He was like, I go, you should come. There is a huge age difference between us. So we should probably tackle some of these topics before. How old is your husband then out of interest? He's 54. Okay. And I'm 26. Yeah. But for the record, I went after him. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and I, and most people that know us, we, we get along like great. I couldn't, yeah. you know, I could never imagine being with anybody else. Families get along. Love is love. Yeah. Love is love. And so you have the husband in his wisdom, I have to say, decides to get marriage counseling before you're even yeah. married. Yeah. Which seems like a genius idea to me. Uh, yes, Absolutely. So, okay. But we've turned on him. So him and, so my therapist and I, well, our therapist and oh, wait, I. Oh, so this is, this is great. You're, you're, it's <laughs> yeah. couple, couple therapy. Yeah, that kind of yeah. Thing. But you know, okay. it's good too, because then we can kind of go in as a quote unquote team on all aspects and be like, oh, this is what's going on with us personally. Right. But here's what's going on with us professionally as well. And thankfully for our therapist, her father was a human orthopedic surgeon. So she gets a lot of the cases that we're going through. We have been going to therapy for four, yeah, about three or four years. Um, And we just go in and sometimes we just, I cry. We drink Aquafina water because that's all, (laughs) that's all she, she can keep in her office. This water is very important to me. And, and, um, you know, we, we just, we talk through all these cases and, you know, could we have done something differently? Um, Is there a a communication barrier between him and I that will, if we can uh, tackle that and overcome that, 
can we provide better patient advocacy? I'm very transparent on my Instagram that I have vices that not many people condone or what have you. And so I do, there is a little drug abuse to kind of keep me going throughout, you know, throughout the work week and whatnot. Yep. But, you know, a vice is a vice is a vice, yep. in my opinion. I'd be transparent with it as much as possible. And If you're comfortable to, Absolutely. of course. But say more about that because, and really just for clarity's sake as much as anything. So we're not sat here with, you know, a shooting gallery of yeah. morphine or a crack yeah. pipe or anything. Correct. That's not what you're talking no. about. No, it's not. Uh, and, and I know this because we've, you know, we've, had a bit of preamble beforehand. Sure. So tell me more about because you know as soon as you go there, it's name your poison, right? Name for, your poison. For many many people, it's alcohol. Correct. For others, it's eating. For exactly. others, it's sex. For others, it's working twenty three hours mm-hmm. a day. This is a coping strategy for you. So if you're open to saying more, open up as much as you like. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a therapist. By <laughs> way, so, yeah. yeah, no worries. So for me, it started maybe five years ago. And that was just me trying to get through tech school and going through, you know, I need to be the best. I need to graduate. I got to get into this field and start making, you know, a living wage. And I remember specifically when where I was when it was that I felt myself mentally break. And it was during my last clinical with school. I did a distance learning program. My extern evaluator, she was the person who was grading all the videos I was sending in to make sure I I did the skills right. She noticed I had lost a lot of weight in my videos. And then she thought I was a different person. And then so she tried to get me expelled because she thought I was filming with somebody else. And so going well, that you, was very compassionate of her. yeah so it's going so many years but that's quite a dramatic change for somebody to have that reaction yeah not even hey you know i mean i still have my long hair like right. you know i've always had long hair right and so it was just the fact that you didn't use a voice changer didn't use a voice changer it was i maybe i was just wearing different fitting clothing i'm not sure but I broke. I mentally broke because I was two weeks from graduating. Right. And, and how many years into this training are you at this point? I had been in the field for three and I was training for two. Okay. So I was almost done with my you're degree. Almost done. Yes. Home and now stretch. Somebody's trying to, and you're stressed as well yes. at this point, right? Yeah. Okay. Correct. And um, so I had my graduation date got put on hold for about six months because I had to go through this appeal of processing. No, you, you know me. I, you know, I know the program director. It was my evaluator. She just was like, I don't believe this is you. And I, so I had to, I had to go through the reels of it and it really you couldn't just rock up and go uh, look at me. No, it's I couldn't me. do that. Yeah. What did it feel like? What happened when you mentally, you described it, you know, the moment you mentally broke, how did that manifest? And how did you know what happened? Well, I thought, you know, I wasn't entirely sure, but it was, it was a a panic attack. I had never had one. And up until that point, I was very, very much like, oh, you have panic attacks, whatever, you know, and I, and I am very, um, I admittedly will say that I always thought people were being dramatic when it came to panic attacks and mental illness. And then I had one. And then I... I just, I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't get out of the cycle. Can you describe it? Yeah, I was, it was more of, I just remember wanting to cry and I couldn't, wanting to scream and I couldn't, and I couldn't move, I couldn't breathe. I don't remember too much after that, but I just, I felt paralyzed. 
you know, everything that you've been working for for so many years and somebody can take it away just just like that. And I remembered that I had leftover Xanax from my dog at the time. So I, I took one and immediately all those worries and the fear and the anxiety went away. And then I was like, let's get down to business. How can we fix this? Let's move forward. And then I found myself as the days went by that this is a pill that will make everything go away. And that I, once I take that pill, it's time to seize the day. And so with that instance, I had only taken my dog's medicine once. And I actually apologized to the doctor that I did that to because she actually came to her wedding. And so I was like, I did this so many years ago. I don't know if you knew. I'm so sorry. I haven't done it since. This immense guilt that I held on for, for what, four years? I was like, we, I need to get this off of my chest. And then obviously, you know, go to the doctors and I'm anxious, you know, and then SSRIs, other benzodiazepines, you name it. That's what I did. And, you know, I'm very honest, you know, I tried my best to get off it and I can't. And if that's my vice, then that is something that, you know, as you said, alcohol, sex, gambling, what have you, we all have our vices. And for me, I, you know, as if I can share my story and be as transparent as possible about it, then not only will that encourage me to continue to get over that hurdle, but hopefully it'll continue. It'll allow people to know that they're not alone and that there might be a stigma, but we're working to change that. Right. And associations, I mean, you're a high functioning individual, you know, working at the cutting edge of surgery, regenerative medicine, active politically within your scene. I have to say that takes a lot a lot of courage to say what you just said. Yeah. So first of all, and and I hope this doesn't come across in a patronizing way, I just thank you for sharing it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I'm I'm sure that many people will relate to that. And and there's also, you know, many sources of support mm-hmm. available to people these days. Absolutely. That perhaps people don't know about. Where are the go to things and what are the go to things you do? You know, you do other things to maintain your mental well being or seek for for support. So clearly therapy. Yeah. Is a big one. Therapy you. is huge. Absolutely. And I and I encourage anybody to to get into therapy if you can afford it. Look into your health insurance from your employer to see if they offer it. Uh, there are apps that you can use to talk with mental health counselors. For me, it's primarily counseling and then self-medicating. I think as we all know, the more the more followers you have, it's it's very lonely at the top. And it's very, very hard to find people to confide in. Right. And at this point, I'm like, why not confide in everybody? Why not right. just say, this is, this is what's going on? You might have this beautiful, amazing picture of who you think I am, but I am just like you. I am just like your, your mother, your sister, your daughter. And a drug addict isn't always going to be somebody on the street that's homeless. You do have your white collar drug addicts, those members of our society that have knowledge on the drugs and what's safe and, and what's not safe. And not saying that that is by any means okay, but we live among you is what is what it boils down to. We are your friends. Right, right. You know, as a profession, I say this over and it's something I say that seems to always connect when I post on social. We're really good at caring for animals. We are. And 
important. We're not always great at caring for clients because it's not our natural forte, but we'll still put them next in the chain. And we really suck at caring for ourselves. We do. But what I've noticed from associations is that, that they are forgiving of, I'm not going to use the word errors because the human is to error, but the human condition. Correct. And that, I think, deserves a shout out at the very least to say um, that if you have problems, people will support you. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and services are available. So keep talking. Yeah. I mean, that's really all we can do is just keep the dialogue open. And I mean, we all have those friends that drink an abundance of alcohol. And <laughs> I went dry January yeah. just now. I'm but not, certainly I'm not going to say who's raising their hand. Okay, with, this, with this accent. <laughs> Shocking. Right, and, right. And the thing is, I don't, I don't drink. I can right. count on one hand how many times I have drank in my entire life. And, you know, we have those friends who are, you, you see them posting on social media, I'm out, you know, this my 10 drinks, I'm out, you know, wasted with friends and coworkers. And but if you see somebody post, hey, look at this pill, you know, it's, it's a different taboo. Isn't yeah, it, it is. Yep. And the thing is, why? You know, why? We all know we all know friends who have um, been drinking underage. Yep. You know, some of us have probably been those people. And, you know, we just need to realize that just because my vice or somebody else's vice is different um, doesn't mean it's necessarily bad or that you're a lesser individual because of it. I applaud that perspective, Nicole. So we're going to change pace now. Okay. And um, I'm also conscious of your time. So we've been running for about an hour and a quarter now. So we're going to hit into our shorter form. This is more of a rapid fire questions now. Okay. So now you can give them any length you like uh, and take it anywhere you like. And I almost never set anybody up with these which, okay so it can go one or two ways so, all right <laughs> so what are you most proud of in your career and why lecturing at such a young age and spreading the knowledge because there are instances where you know age comes with knowledge and thankfully i somehow entered into i don't know how i entered into that honestly i really wish i had an answer for you but yeah lecturing at such a young age um starting at 22 internationally and now i've been doing it for four years and what do you think, possibly related to that question, what's the thing that's made the biggest impact in your career and why? Social media. Absolutely. I would say social media because it has given me so many opportunities to lecture or learn how to do something, uh, a task differently. Network with uh, companies and individuals like yourself that maybe I wouldn't have known. <laughs> I'm sure that's a blessing. <laughs> But for me, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not too sure for you. Is there a thing that you do better than anybody else? Like, what's your superpower? Like, we've heard your kryptonite. What's your superpower? My superpower. Admitting when I'm wrong. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, no. <laughs> your husband agree? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but you can go you can go see the therapist about Correct. it. So it <laughs> and she'll side with me and then we'll be fine. <laughs> Wait. Sounds like, sounds like you need four in the room like this. <laughs> if you could change one thing in veterinary medicine, let's imagine you are a veterinary god mm-hmm. zooming around the sky, you could change one thing for the better. What would it be? Standard of care. Say more. Okay. <laughs> 
um, that we all are held to the same standard. You know, as I said, we go to so many hospitals and boy, is there a variation in the medicine that's practiced, you know, using certain drugs where it's not applicable or as a substitution for a drug just because it's cheaper or what have you, cutting corners. Um, if we could just standardize around and just elevate that standard of care, then I think not only will we have better um, personal lives, we'll, you know, we'll be more fit mentally and emotionally, and maybe we'll have just a little bit more money in our pockets. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Hoorah. What was the best piece of advice you have ever given or you've received? And if you gave it, you've got to name the impact and why it was so good. I had this conversation um, with one of my best friends a few weeks ago who who came to me about, he's an assistant, and an amazing assistant, and, but he was representing himself as a technician. And, you know, I, as a friend, I'm supportive. I'm not there to be like, mm -mm -mm, no, 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 you're not my friend. That's not, I was not put on this planet to judge. All I can ever do is just be ear to listen. And so he came to me and he was talking about how he had received so much grief and how he didn't know what to do and where to go. And I, you know, I sat him down and I said, I thank you for coming to me with this because I was always hopeful that you would because it's not my place again to talk about it if I don't have to. But I sat him down and I just said, why? What is what is this term technician? Why is it so important to you? Why do, why do you feel that you need to have it in your title to make you feel like you're creating an impact on your on, you know, your patients? And, you know, and I reiterated that question and I'll reiterate it over and over and over again. When when did it become such a bad thing to be an assistant? Why do we make these these individuals feel inferior? Strut your stuff. And we had an amazing dialogue about, you know, that, yeah, our roles are very comparative and there's a place for all of us in the in the hospital from kennel assistants to receptionists to veterinarians and own what you do. Be proud of of who you are, your title, own it. And then if it changes someday, great. And if not, then you're just going to be a, a real kick-ass vet assistant. And to see that it resonated with him. And then when he, because he has a page as well on Instagram, he posted it. And the amount of positive feedback he got was exceptional. It was, I'm an assistant too. I'm proud. I have been calling myself a technician, but I am an assistant and I'm damn proud of it. And it's just, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of comments and just to see them rally together as a community and as part of the veterinary community too was just absolutely amazing to see. Fantastic. Now, on the flip side of that, what's the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? Or you gave? I can think of a lot of <laughs> terrible advice I've given. <laughs> but the thing is, I just, I brush so much stuff off. It's just so, it's so hard to to think but i have been told that i need to be and i'm not sure if this was advice or an insult now that i think of it but um <laughs> but um i need to be a little like sugarcoat things more um i'm a very blunt to the point time you know let's not waste time let's you know obviously i have bedside manner i think but i was told that i need to just take it a little bit more easier with my approach. And I'm not sure if that was good or bad advice. I didn't take I didn't take it as being good advice, but I guess any advice that's given should be taken into consideration. All right. Now, um, if you give yourself one piece of advice back when you were qualifying and finishing up your training, 
what would it be? Don't rush. And it's not a race. Success is not a race, as we've talked about. I knew as soon as I wanted to graduate that I wanted to change the field. And have I done that? I, you know, maybe I have, maybe to an extent I have. For me, that I wouldn't have rushed through my schooling because I did, because it was a distance learning program at your own pace, because I, I wanted the end goal. And I didn't have time to take in all that information, all those experiences that I'm sure would have been helpful to me at this current time. And, you know, just to enjoy every single moment of it, because now looking back, it's hard to believe I graduated five years ago. I'm here where I am today, but it would just be, you know, just one day, one day at a time. And don't overload yourself. Don't spread yourself too thin because you're not going to be exceptional at everything like you think you you are. All right. Now, favorite book. What book has helped you the most? How to Win Friends and Influence People. Ooh. Daniel Carnegie, I think. That's Carnegie? Yeah, it's Carnegie. Yeah. I don't know if that's his first name, but it's, it's Carnegie. Dale, Dale Carnegie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some of the D, Carnegie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like 1936 or 38 was when it was published. Okay. That is probably one of my all-time favorite books, and I've read it multiple times since I was a teenager. What made that a great book for you? Wow. Um, it is. Have you ever read the book? No. Oh. I'm Scottish. <laughs> I think he was I think he was British. Carnegie is a very Scottish name. Well, okay. So All right, that's fair. No, I, in fairness, I've never read it cover to cover. I've read bits of it. Okay. As I do with many of the sort of big books, I'm like, okay, I need that tool. Yeah. Coming up, I'm going to read that bit of that. Absolutely. Yeah, and um I mean, it's a good book. It's it's an easy read, but what I found And I mean, the last time I read it was probably about seven years ago. And for me to still remember this must be a a positive thing. But when you want something in life, whether you're negotiating, you're in an argument, what have you, stop talking and listen. Don't just, when you and I are talking, I don't want to just wait for you to say something so I have my rebuttal. You know, stop and listen to what you're actually, you know. Which is every Facebook conversation. Every Facebook conversation, exactly. And we basically were trained to to just speak before we think. And another great tool that I learned from that was negotiating wages. Ask for your price. Don't even ask. Name your price and wait. Whoever is the first one to speak loses. And so you just need to sit there and be uncomfortable. You know, if, if your price point is $23, say, look, I know what I bring to the table. I have nothing to prove to you. It's $23. And then you just wait. And every single time I have negotiated a fee, whether it's with lecturing, doing relief work, what have you, I just wait. And I can maybe think of one or two times where they just told me to shove off. And out of the hundreds of opportunities I've had, I think that's a pretty good outcome and a, a good tool to have. All right. So you're big into Instagram. I'm going to make this the last question. We always finish up on this question. If, and it's not just if, you could, could you do? <laughs> but you could, sit, you could send an Instagram. So it's going to be a picture. Okay. And you can have some words as well if you want, but you've got to keep them short-ish. <laughs> It's possible a long form podcast. <laughs> it could be a lot of words. So if you could send that picture and every phone in the world, bing, it comes up. Wow. What would it be? My homemade mac and cheese. 
I didn't see that coming. <laughs> no, you didn't. This better be some damn good mac <laughs> It and is. I can't even eat it. I'll tell you a joke now. Okay. How do you know if someone's a vegan? They'll tell you. <laughs> and it's, it's taking me, I'm looking at the timer, it's an hour and 26 minutes, which is an absolute record because it normally takes about five seconds because you're always eating or drinking or something and, and it's, it's, it's not vegan mac and cheese, is it? No, it's not. Are you vegan? I am vegan. Okay. I was vegetarian for like 10 years and then I had one piece of pepperoni and it was all over. <laughs> Yep. Vegan pepperoni or, does suck. I've never had vegan pepperoni. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to turn you vegan. No, I, I do not think so. But I feel like we should now have a mac and cheese off. I feel like we should. Because but I make an epic vegan really? mac and cheese. I will, oh, yeah. I will probably have to take you up on that. All right. Next time you and I are someplace, there is a kitchen. There's a kitchen in this hotel. We should go and try and talk them into a video... Of do you go to? Are you going to Western Vet? I'm going to Western. Okay, I'll be there. Should we make that happen? Yeah, we should. Okay, so let's put the shout out now. I may have to rearrange the order of the podcast though, because this probably won't go out till after Western. But let's see if we can make a mac and cheese off. We can at Western. We can prepare to crash and burn Nicola for us. I don't think so. I get I get the cheese from Amsterdam. The Dutch don't even make good cheese. They sorry, do. Holland. Sorry, no, Holland. They do. Sorry, everyone. They, they do. do. Uh, Gouda, I really like yes, that cheese. Yes, that's what we like, That's a good cheese. When I ate cheese, which I don't. Yeah, I was like, wait. I'm, I'm not salivating, honestly. <laughs> there you go. If you've enjoyed the conversation and uh, you want to swell the ranks of Nicole's many followers on Instagram and see why she has nearly 20,000, probably be like 30,000 by the time this goes live. The Instagram's veterinary technicians, is it not? Correct. At veterinary technicians. Yes, correct. Plural. Right. Yep. And that's the best place to reach you. And it is, yeah. So give Nicole a little shout out on there and just show her the reach of the podcast and show her some love as we thanks for coming on and definitely follow her. Absolutely. Thank you. Nicola Forrest, thank you so much thank for your you. time. This was thank fun. you for your candor and your insight into the, the world of, of the technician, for the work you're doing at the Cutting Edge, thank the great you. work you do with the animals and for the entertaining and educating feed that you deliver to us all on Instagram. Thank, thank you. you very much for being part of this rich tapestry in veterinary medicine. Thank you. This was fun. Hello again, folks. Just me. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Now, two things. One, please don't forget to check out show sponsor, which is Verex Thrive at verexthrive.com. And then the other thing is, please tell people if you're enjoying the podcast, please go out there and tell them about the podcast. The audience grows through word of mouth, first and foremost with podcasting. And so I would really appreciate your help. More listeners means more opportunity for me to get great guests on the show and I hope keep you entertained. So thank you in advance for that. Thank you for being a great listener. And until next time, be safe, be well, and be happy. Dr. Dave, out.